Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is a crowd podcast. Running is simple. The 100 metres, the 200 metres, it all makes sense. Who's the fastest? The first one to cross the line. No balls or bats or strange equipment. No teammate. Just you and your talent and your training. But it's not. Not really. When you run fast, you destroy things. You break inertia, you cut the wind, you tear thousands of tiny fibres in your muscles. When you run fast, flat out, heart banging, rev counter in the red, you can't do it again. Not for a while. There's too much damage. And here's something else, the weird truth about sprinting. The harder you try, the slower you go. Speed, it's about relaxation. It's carrying nothing with you. It's running free. It's the Olympic Games in Seoul, Korea, 1988. The fastest women in the world crouch low in their starting blocks. Eight of them. From the US, East Germany, Jamaica, the Soviet Union. All fast, all ready, heads down. Silence in the stadium, all waiting for the bee of the bang. But there's one athlete the whole world is watching. Long, black, curly hair tied back. Long fingernails like claws painted red, white, blue and gold. Red and white vest. White Mizuno spikes. Flojo. No one has looked like Florence Griffith Joyner before. No one has run like this before, not just beating records, destroying them. She runs free, with grace and power. Nothing can stop her, not now. But in her wake, it's all there. Questions and doubts and rumours. No one's looked like Flojo before. Not even Flojo. You go back two years, she seems different. She's slower, slimmer. Usually run in the two-leg body suit. Her voice is thinner. But there's other stuff too. Stuff that's bigger than her. Rivalries in her own team, in her own country. A battle between the West and the East, between capitalism and communism, between culture and ideas, between enemies that fight in sport, in the Olympics. When Flojo runs, we think about all those things. We think what it's like to be a young, successful black woman in a world that seems run by old white men. We think about our own obsessions with records, with heroes, with the Olympics and its motto, which feels like a promise to a target. Faster. Higher. Stronger. When it comes to an end for Flojo, when she's still young, all those questions remain. How she dies, just 38 years old. Why she dies. The rumours that follow her, even after she's gone. 
how she stays there in the record books year after year, the blurred ghost who refuses to slip away. This is Death of a Sports Star, a new series from Crowd Network. When Flojo's a kid, it's straightforward. There's no doubt, she's always fast and she's always running. She's the seventh of 11 kids growing up in the projects in LA. Her mum has a nickname for her, Lightning. She never walks, she never stops. That speed gets her a scholarship to college. She drops out, needs to earn money to support that big old family. But she comes back with help and she's good. At 23 years old, she's coming fourth in the 200 metres at the World Championships. The next year, she's second at the 84 Olympics. But there's no money in it being a runner-up as a black young woman. So she works as a cashier in a bank. She styles people's hair and does their nails. She doesn't race for two years. She gets chubby. That's Florence Griffith, when anyone still thinks about her. But then, the changes. She's coached by a man called Bob Kersey. His wife Jackie is world champion in the heptathlon and long jump. Jackie's brother Al Joyner is Olympic triple jump champion. Florence marries Al. It sounds complicated, but it works, this pair of pairs. Jackie's maybe the best all-round female athlete in the world. Bob's a black coach in a white world. Florence... Florence is getting faster. At the start of 1988, Olympic year, she's not ranked in the world's top ten. She's only seventh in the US. But Bob's got a plan. Florence has got a plan. They've been watching Ben Johnson, fastest man in the world, the fastest man in history. How strong he is. How he explodes from those starting blocks, destroying things. Here's what Florence says. If you want to run like a man, you have to train like a man. So they go down the local Kmart, buy a leg weights machine for $150. She works it every day. She does squats. That's weights on your shoulders, bending your legs, sinking low, pushing back up. She's pushing 145 kilograms, she says. That's like having a grown man on each shoulder. That's impossible for most women. Al Joyner, the husband, takes over the coaching, talks about nutrition, about mental focus, about toughness. And it's working, whatever it is. She goes to the US trials that summer, and nothing is how it was before that week in Indianapolis. Her hair's halfway down her back, where before it was cut short. Her voice is hard where it used to be soft. Her muscles curve, swell, stand out. It's all new. How her nails are four inches long, painted with tiger stripes. How everyone else is in vest and shorts, and she's in a purple bodysuit and white bikini bottoms. And that's all great, but it's nothing compared to how she runs. You break records on the big days, when the crowds are in and pressure on, in the heat, in the big stadium. Except Florence does it here in the quarter-finals, and no one's watching, in the afternoon, from out of a clear blue sky, 
10.49 seconds for a 100 metres. It doesn't beat the old world record. It makes it look ancient, redundant, destroyed. It's impossible for a woman. It's impossible for most men. That time, it would have won gold in the men's 100 metres at any Olympics before 1936. Here's what the commentator shouts on US TV. It can't be. Nobody can run that fast. There's talk about a crazy strong tailwind. Records don't count when the wind's above a certain limit, but the gauge by the track is showing nothing. Literally. No wind. Even though they can feel it everywhere else in the stadium. And so the record stays, and she keeps going. Winning her semi, winning the final, across two days, the three fastest times ever run by a woman. She wins the 200 metres too, wearing a white lace bodysuit. And that's the moment. That's when Florence ends and Flojo begins. What does Flojo say as the world shouts and screams? She says, it's about time track and field looked pretty. She gets a thousand fan letters a week and the nails keep growing and the jewellery gets bigger and the hype carries it all along and America loves it as the Olympics come round. These Olympics are different in 1988. Remember that old line they say about the world's youth coming together every four years? It hasn't been true, not for a long time. East battles West. 1980, the Olympics are in Moscow. The USSR invades Afghanistan in 79, so America boycotts that Olympics. In 1984, they're in LA. So what does the East do? The USSR, East Germany, Bulgaria, anywhere where Russian communism rules? Boycott it. Go back further, 1976, there's an African boycott. So this summer, it's the first time in 16 years that everyone's racing everyone else. There's gold medals at stake, but there's more too. Culture and ideals, power and influence. So these are Flojo's rivals when she crouches in her blocks for the 100 metres final. A Russian, an East German, a Bulgarian, and Evelyn Ashford, a slim black American woman who's never got suddenly bigger or much, much quicker. None of them can touch Flojo. She wins by 0.3 seconds. That's forever in the 100 metres. It's one end of a room to the other. It's two different races. And in her wake, it's all there. Just like Ben Johnson beating Carl Lewis in the men's final. The shock. The adoration. The questions. Journalists gather round, say, How come you run so fast? And Evelyn Ashford, way back in second, looks at her and says, Why don't you tell them, Florence? But that's only the start. When you run flat out fast, you can't do it again, not straight away. Too much damage. Unless you flow, Joe. Unless you're different. In the 200 metre semi-final, she smashes the old world record. In the final, she destroys it again. Here's how she describes it to herself. Go as hard as I can out of the blocks. Stay relaxed. Use all I have coming home. When she crosses the line, she falls to her knees. 
dips her forehead to the dark red track. She puts her hands together, the long nails touching, like she's praying for something. And then it's the husband, Al Joyner. He runs to her, picks her up in his arms, spins around. He says it was like poetry in motion, like oil on a canvas moving. It was like her name, style, beauty and grace. Here's what a commentator says, David Coleman. He's at his eighth Summer Olympics, seen everything, and he says, she's not just breaking the world record, she's taking it apart. It's unbelievable. Flojo runs and she doesn't stop. She does the 100 metres relay, helps the US win gold. She does the 400 metres relay, when 100 metre sprinters never do the 400. And she nearly wins that one too. Three golds, one silver. Her sister-in-law, Jackie Joyner-Kersey, she wins the long jump, she wins the heptathlon. This pair, these two black women, with 80% of the gold medals the entire US women's athletic squad wins? West beats East. Capitalism beats communism. NBC, the big American TV network, sees it in the ratings. They're huge. So it's time for these American winners to cash in, right? You make money when you win for America at the Olympics. Mark Spitz, the swimmer in 72. Mary Lou Retton, the gymnast in 84. Unless you're a black woman. Wilma Rudolph wins three sprint golds in Rome in 1960, gets nothing. Evelyn Ashford, when she wins the 100 metres in 84, it's like it never happened. But it looks like it's happening now for Flojo. She has a new manager. Someone says it looks like he's wearing saddlebags. There's so many scrunched up memos of phone messages wedged in the pockets of his suit jacket. A shoe deal, camera film, photocopiers, nail products, clothing lines. There's even a doll, a black doll, when America is Barbie and Barbie is white. You can buy press-on nails, you can style the hair, you can buy the bodysuit outfits. But it stalls soon, the money. There's LA, her home city, about to be broken apart by the Rodney King scandal. There's America, split by Reaganomics. You can make it as a black woman, but the odds are stacked. And there's something else too. Flojo isn't the biggest story of the year. That's Ben Johnson when he tests positive for steroids. It's maybe the biggest Olympic story of all time. Now it's East v West, but it's clean versus dirty too. It's good versus evil. Carl Lewis, American hero, gets upgraded to 100 meter gold. He says, in the old Westerns, they had the guy in the white hat and the black hat. I was the guy in the white hat trying to beat this evil guy. And Lewis keeps talking. He's doing a lecture for college students. Says he's heard something from reliable sources. That something? Flojo's doping. Okay, that's huge from Lewis, even though he thinks it's off the record. It's all over TV, all over the papers, it's everywhere. And Al Joyner, the husband, he goes on the attack. He says, when the thing happened with Ben Johnson, you could see the vultures coming out. He says his wife is in tears. He says she said to him, what did I do to deserve this? What did I do to make everyone dislike me? His answer? The truth will prevail. 
This is your time in history. A manager, the one with the memos in his suit pockets, he says Carl Lewis is trying to rob children of a role model. Others talk about jealousy, about slander. The head of the Olympic Medical Commission fights too. We performed all possible analyses on her. We never found anything. That's what he says. There shouldn't be the slightest suspicion. But people are talking. Evelyn Ashford, who finished second in Seoul, is doing a speech to the US members of Congress. She says she's a natural athlete. And she says steroids everywhere in women's track and field. She says, it's bad and it's getting worse. She says, I want my sport to live forever. I don't want it to die. But if something isn't done about drugs, it will die. There's a story in a German magazine, an interview with a US 400-metre runner called Daryl Robinson. He says the coach Bob Kersey gave him steroids. He says he sold Flojo human growth hormone. Says she gave him $100 bills, 20 of them. He says she tells him, if you want to make a million, you've got to invest some thousands. Another story, this time from Flojo's mum, the one who brought up 11 kids on her own in the LA projects. She says she coped with all that because of family talks, powwows, she called them. Every Thursday, each son and daughter could confess what they'd done wrong that week, their sins. You told the truth, you moved on. Forgiven. Free. So that's where we are at the start of 1989. Clean versus dirty, good versus evil. Questions and doubts and rumours. And hopefully some answers. After this short break. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up. But not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me, Murder in House 2, a new podcast from Crowd Network. This is Death of a Sports Star. There are things you hear on the inside. Stories, connections, explanations... There are things you see you can't forget. This is East v West, and dark stuff is going on. When the Berlin Wall comes down in October 89, it starts to leak out. East German athletes, generations of them given pills by their coaches. Women getting faster, stronger, going higher. The women whose records Flojo breaks, doping. The women who hold records in longer races, in jumping, in throwing, cheating. State-sponsored doping. That's how they describe it. Steroids, testosterone, anything that works. Some get sloppy, start getting caught. Others fight it until the documents come out. Files from the secret police, confessions and recriminations. One East German woman, from before Flojo, complains a rival's getting stronger doses of steroids because her uncle runs the pharmaceutical company. And it's shocking. But it's simple too. West is good, East is bad. White hats and black hats. A battle of culture and ideals that one side keeps losing. Except there's more. Much more. 
It won't come out for another 15 years, but the good guys are bad guys too. Carl Lewis, the American hero, the one given gold when Ben Johnson is disqualified, the one who calls out Flojo. He failed three dope tests during those Olympic trials in 88. Should be banned. But instead, they cover it up. Here's what he says, the good guy, when it comes out. There were hundreds of people getting off. Everyone was treated the same. And he's sort of right. There's allegations the US Olympic Committee covered up 114 positive tests between 1988 and 2000. East is bad, but so is West. That men's 100 metres final in Seoul? Six of the eight finalists are implicated in some form of doping. The dirtiest race of all time. At least, until the next one. Something else happens. The year after the Olympics, before the Berlin Wall comes down, when there's still innocence and easy narratives, before we know what we know. Flojo retires. Finished. Done. 29 years old. The fastest woman who ever lived, when she's getting faster. It does happen. Bjorn Borg, best tennis player in the world, stops at 26. Michael Jordan will abandon basketball at 30, for a few years at least. But there were questions with them, and there are questions for her. This woman grew up in the projects, seventh of 11 kids, and she's stopping the source of the money of the escape. She says it's about time. She's doing other things, award ceremonies, speeches, trying to train in hotel corridors doesn't work. She says she cried about it, but she's decided. She says, I've been sleepy for five months. All I want to do is sleep. Al Joyner, the husband, talks about the future. Says she wants to be a schoolteacher, a writer, an artist. She wants to be in the movies. He says, all these things came to her feet in the Olympic Games. I'm the one who asked her to retire. There's something else too. Athletics officials can't pretend there's no crisis, not after Ben Johnson. So they bring in new dope tests. Now they won't just test you at the big events, they can test you at home, in training, whenever they want. It makes sense. You dope to get faster, stronger. You build the engine. By the time you get to the Olympics, it's done. You just stamp on the accelerator. You want to cheat your way to gold? You don't cheat in the race. Not if you're smart. You don't need to. So Flojo puts away the bodysuits, the white bikini bottoms, the white track spikes. She does a few TV shows for a bit. She has a daughter, Mary. The school teacher thing, that doesn't happen. Or the writing, or the art. But she's still there in the sport, in the record books. On the screen every time there's a big sprint final. Her name, her time, her mark. World record, Florence Griffith Joyner. There's a sign that hangs over the sink in the small house she lives in with Al in Newport Beach. It says, Lord, grant me the patience to endure my blessings. That's where she is now. It's mid-September 1998, almost exactly a decade on from the gold medals in Seoul. 
Al and Florence are in their house in LA. She goes to bed at 2am. Al watches TV for a while. Goes to sleep in a different room. He's up early, getting their daughter's stuff ready for school. Then he hears Florence's alarm clock at half six. And it keeps going and going. So he walks in and turns it off. And he looks at his wife. And she's not moving. She's face down in a pillow. Her arms are bent, her hands up by her shoulders. Her mouth is slightly open. And he turns her. And her eyes are open too. And there's nothing there. No light, no spark, no movement. He tries mouth to mouth, he shouts, he screams, he calls 911 and tries again to wake her. This is what the police see when they arrive. They say the house is cluttered. They use the word unkempt. They say Florence is on the carpet next to the bed. The bed's unmade. There's a wet patch where her face has been. One of her long fingernails, the one on the ring finger of her left hand, is broken. They think she's been dead for at least three hours. That night, they talk to Al again. He's changed his story a little, says he didn't actually watch TV. He says he went to his office to do some work because he can get more work done when the phone's not ringing. He says he found his wife with her hands under her neck. News travels. It races. Jackie Joyner-Kersey, the sister-in-law, the other great champion, is 2,000 miles away in St. Louis. She gets the call and she falls to the floor. She has an asthma attack. Can't think, can't breathe. And the police? They think she might have been strangled. The marks around her neck, her position. They start a murder investigation. That doesn't get out, for now. But people talk, and people fill the silence. What makes a healthy 38-year-old woman die in her sleep? People talk about the intense strain chronic steroid use puts on the body, on the heart. There's a rumour her heart has stopped. No, not stopped. Exploded. And people talk, and the coroner makes his report, and it's not what any of them expect. He says... She had an epileptic seizure in her sleep. She suffocated in her own pillow, alone, in the dark, breathless. So others take that and run. Al Joyner says, She died by accident, not because of drugs. I told the doctor they checked for everything. He says, They had people coming up all the time wanting to do tests. My wife passed the ultimate drugs test. Strange phrase to come up with that, isn't it? The ultimate drugs test. And it's not really true. Not when you ask. The coroner doesn't test Flojo's body for steroids or human growth hormone or testosterone. They can't. There's not enough urine in her bladder. And you can't do it accurately enough from hair or skin or bones. And the epilepsy thing. People aren't sure about that either. One expert calls it a distinctly unusual complication. He says, It's true people can asphyxiate during epileptic seizures, but it's very rare. So the battle goes on, good and evil, right and wrong. Jackie Joyner-Kersey says they're degrading her sister-in-law's name. The head of the US Olympic Committee says she was a role model for girls and young women. President Bill Clinton says something else. He says, 
We were dazzled by her speed, humbled by her talent, and captivated by her style. Something that could mean one thing and another, that avoids the definitive. Very clever. Very Clinton. So Flojo is gone, but she's still there when you look around. In more than 30 years, no one gets close to her times. Sprinters come and sprinters go and she destroys them all from beyond the grave. And the east falls and the west rises and everything repeats in the end. Another flat-out fast woman comes out of the US, wins three gold at an Olympics in Sydney in 2000. Her name's Marion Jones. She never fails a drugs test, but her husband does and he's banned. And she marries again to a sprinter who breaks the men's 100 metres world record. And he tests positive too, and loses it all, and ends up in jail for dealing heroin. Jones? She gets caught in the end, when they find the trail of money she's been paying for what they're calling designer steroids. Another US sprinter, Morris Green, wins gold at the same games, coming from nowhere. He beats the world record, And years on, he admits paying another man for performance-enhancing drugs. He says they weren't for him, it was for his training partners. This is how it rolls. In 2016, Russia is banned from international athletics. That phrase again, state-sponsored doping. Turns out they've been doing it for years. At the London Olympics in 2012, in Beijing four years before. East v West, fighting battles in sport. Who wins in the end? Not athletics, when we don't know what's real. And not the clean athletes who can't break those impossible records. There's another Olympic champion, Gwen Torrance, a natural runner. She says, To me, those records don't exist. Women sprinters are suffering as a result of what Flojo did to the times. Running's simple. Until it isn't. When you run fast... You destroy things, records and reputations, and yourself sometimes, too. And the ghosts remain, refusing to slip away. And that was the story of Florence Griffith Joyner. It was written by Tom Fordyce and performed by me, Emma Clark. Our editor was Phil Brown. For research, we used the archives of the BBC, the Los Angeles Times, the New York Times, Sports Illustrated and the Times. The music we used is from our partners BMG Production Music. If this is your first episode, we've got others we hope you'll enjoy just as much. There's ones about superstar Kobe Bryant, American maverick Payne Stewart. And before I go, I want to tell you about another Crowd Network series called Death of a Rockstar. We love it, and you might too. There's new episodes every Thursday. Maybe try our episode about Whitney Houston. Thanks for listening. Crowd Network. A place where you belong. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. 
There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix dissecting the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you after the chequered flag. Hit Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Right on. I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. <laughs> 